Okay, good morning. Um, so the title of this um, talk today is Do You Need Therapy? Um, I will answer for myself. The answer is yes, I do. So anyway, um, boy, that sun is still. I'm going to scooch over a little more. Uh, is that better? Better for me. There we go. I can see you guys now. Um, I'll move this over. So <clears throat> scripture we hear a lot this time of year, but I'm only going to focus on one little piece of it. Um, you guys have all heard it, but it's Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, and that's what we're going to talk about today, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will, <clears throat> he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment to the Lords of Heaven's armies, which we talked about with the angels, right, has a new meaning, I think, for me it does, will make this happen. Um, <clears throat> so this is, a, this is a prophecy given by Isaiah, and he tells us who the Messiah will be. And the very first way that he, the very first description he gives is wonderful counselor. And um, I have called on that time and time and time again. Um, <clears throat> back in my very, very dark days when I really didn't, um, you know, I didn't know if I was going to make it through those days. And I, I, I tried to do therapy. It just didn't help. <clears throat> it just didn't help. And I just remembered reading this, and I was like, wonderful counselor. And every day I would say, wonderful counselor, I need your counsel. I don't think a human can really help me. I need the wonderful counselor. And this became so alive to me. And it, has, it is so alive to me to this day. Uh, so Thanksgiving, we just had Thanksgiving, right? And, um, you know, as usual in my family, there was drama, total drama. We, you know, Tuesday I came down with food poisoning and I was supposed to host 12 people, and by the, that Thursday morning, the rest of my family was staying at another house. We shipped food to them, and there was great, you know, weeping and gnashing. There was just drama and, you know, and pain and suffering, which represents a lot of people's holidays, right? You know, I mean, even if you have a great family, because I have a great family, but even with the best families, there is there is. There is pain and drama and tears. And, and what is it about the holidays that it is so much, it exacerbates whatever is broken. And it exacerbates it because, you know, if you have a broken marriage, because I've been doing also a lot of counseling right now, and can I tell you this is the time of year when, you're, when your marriage is broken, it hurts the most. Or when your relationship with your mother or your father or your sister or your brother, whatever it is, it, first of all, you're together. Second of all, it's supposed to be this, you know, time of joy and peace and all this stuff, and instead it's a time of increased pain where there's already something broken that cannot be fixed, that has, that has been that way for a very long time. You know, a lot of times with our dynamics, this is not something new. This is something that has been there and been there and been there. And, you know, um, it's like the death of a thousand paper cuts, right? You know, and it's like just one more. And so this is that time of year. And, and, and so, you know, we find ourselves in these dynamics where we're like, um, you know, do we, I, I wrote, I wrote, do we internalize 
these issues, and we all know what happens when we internalize. And, you know, you get depressed, you get angry, you get physically sick. You know, I mean, I'm sure everybody's familiar with the research of, um, you know, how much um, sickness stems from internalizing. Because, you know, but then if you don't internalize, um, and, and, and let me tell you something about internalization, you are forced to be a conflict avoider. That's what internalizing does, right? You can't, because that's your way of avoiding conflict because you have to. Because if you, if you confront it, we all know it doesn't change anything and it blows up bigger, right? So you've got this, you've got all this emotion and then you're forced into inauthentic, shallow relationships. I, I, I know we've all been in this family dynamic or friendship dynamic or whatever it is. Um, the other ways that we, uh, that we deal with it this time of year is we just anesthetize to ourselves the pain and we numb ourselves out with all the eggnog and the wine and the whatever, and which does work for a minute. And then it makes it worse, always. You know, it, it, it's, there's, there's a moment of relief and then there is, you know, greater pain on the other side. I mean, you know, it's, first of all, we know alcohol is a depressant, so it's going to, but second of all, it's the things we say and do when we drink the alcohol that always make it worse. So, so we don't have a, we don't have a, you know, that's not a, that's not a good option, right? I mean, so these are the options that we have this time of year. I mean, really, what are the options when you have these relationships? Um, the other one is to communicate, and that's positively terrifying because that is the blow up, right? Finally, someone decides I've had enough, I'm going to just speak the truth and say it out, and then you have the blow up. I mean, sometimes there are, but these are, I'm talking about the long-standing family dynamics that are patterns in relationships that we can't change. And everybody has relationship patterns somewhere with someone that they cannot change. So this is where the wonderful counselor comes in. Um, I'm so thankful for him. Um, because in ourself, we have the option to either fight to run, to freeze, or to isolate. That's what we do, right? Those are the four options that we know of. Um, so I, I, did a, uh, I did, looked at a little um, statistics on mental health, and it says the number of people seeking mental health treatment is on the rise, which we all know. Um, and there, this particular article is how it's overburdening the services available, and we're just running out of service options. But it says, figures show that more and more people are visiting their GPs with anxiety, stress, and other mental health concerns. According to Aviva Health of the National Index, 84% of GPs' appointments were attributed to the issues of stress and anxiety, 84%. Of your general practitioner, right? Not your, not your therapist, but your general practitioner. And it says with 55% reporting mental health, more other additional mental health issues other than anxiety and stress. Um, there is also concern about the occupancy level and mental health inpatient facilities. The Care Quality Commission found that 16% of wards visited by the Mental Health Act commissioners were over capacity about half of the wards were nearly at capacity with occupancy levels at 90%. In fact, the mental health problems constitute the largest single source of world economic burdens. Its estimated global cost is 1.6 trillion. This was done in pounds, so for us that's almost double, right? Greater 
greater. We spend $1.6 trillion more on mental health than on cancer, diabetes, chronic, re- chronic respiratory disease, and heart disease. That's how much more we spend. That's not the total, but we spend $1.6 trillion more on mental health than on those things. I mean, we're talking, it says, it also said that 75% of um, these doctors admit that they prescribed medication even though they felt that it wasn't really the cure, but they give a pill to try to get us out of the way. Now, they're talking about how they're going to solve this problem, and the way they're going to solve this problem is self-management. It says they are now encouraging people to take care of their physical and mental health themselves is one way the health industry is trying to reduce strain on the mental health services. The term self-management is used within the industry to describe the methods people use to manage themselves to achieve their objective, and they go on and it's a long article. But this shows us, you know, what's happening. We're doing more and more therapy. We've never done more therapy. The statistics show we've never been to more therapy than we're going to now. And the statistics show that people are not getting better. They're adding more days of therapy. They're adding more this, more that, and they're not getting better. And uh, now we all, I think, I mean, we've all probably been to therapy at one point or the other where we did get help. So it's not like, but the point is there's got to be more help available. And there is more help available. There is more help than what we can find, um, you know, just through the medical system. And that's the point of this scripture. Is that, and, the point of the, and the point of this isn't to stop seeking therapy. The point of it is to know how to really get the help we need. Um, it, it, sometimes that just isn't enough. And that was my case. That just wasn't enough. It couldn't even scratch the surface of my issues. My issues were too deep. And, and really, it's just one person trying to help another. So how much can one human being do? Um, but we have a wonderful counselor. Um, and, and the point of, I mean, the, you know, this is interesting. I went to open my computer yesterday to type this out, and um, it said the time was 10.10. And for years, at 10.10 a.m. and p.m., there's a woman in our ministry named Becky Mossetab. She's a dentist, and she's amazing. She's so full of, full of Christ. And every day at 10.10, she would type out 10.10, because John 10.10 says that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus died to give us abundant life. And when I opened my computer, and, and we just, that was something we did for a couple years, and we just haven't done it for a while, but I opened it, and there was 10.10 sitting on my computer blinking, in these big letters, and I'm like, this is, the, this is the story of the season. This is the point of Christmas, that Jesus died to give us abundant life, and so often we live half full lives. So much of our lives are not abundant. And, you know, and, and I love the word, the fact that he, the word is he gave us abundant life, because life, we're all living life. But how much of us are just living it half full? And, 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 during the holiday season, we might be reminded that one of the reasons we feel half full is because there's these painful relationships we can't get away from, that we have no control over. And what do you do with all that emotion that I mentioned at the beginning? And what do you do with all that? Because you don't have control over other people, and you only have control over yourself. But the fact is, you're not a robot that doesn't feel these things. You know, I, I know this, 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 this saying, it says, you know, we, only, we can only control ourselves, and I absolutely agree. But, that, but we're still feeling human beings. If you don't feel the pain of the situation because everybody has them, then what are you supposed to be, like some type of robot that just doesn't feel? This is a painful situation, whatever it is, whatever, it, whatever the situation is. And so the solution, the best thing that they can 
offer us is you just control you, which is true. But what if controlling you means you still feel the pain of the difficult marriage or the broken relationship in your family or the dysfunctional mother or father or brother or sister, whatever it is. So we have more than that that is offered to us. Um, And what's interesting is Jesus was born in one of the darkest histories of the world. I mean, if you have ever looked at, they have them on, um, you know, like the big documentaries and stuff about that time in Roman history. And when you would be walking into Rome, the sides of the streets would be, would be paved in people being crucified. I mean, just dead people, cru- crucifixions going up the road to walk into the, I mean, we don't even, we can't even comprehend the darkness of that season. Um, but out of, I love the saying, it says, out of the darkness, a great light will come. And that's what they said about Jesus, and that is what happened. But that is what happens out of our situations. You know, God has told us and promises, promised us that our most difficult and most hopeless and most impossible situations is where our greatest victory comes from. And sometimes this time of year, we're reminded more of those impossible situations. Um, but sometimes we have to do away with old way of doing things to have a larger life. I wrote that out because it just hit me. Sometimes we have to do away with the old way of doing things to have a larger life. And that's what the scripture is going to tell us. As we look through this today, that is what the scripture is going to tell us, that, um, you know, we're going to have to, we can't do things the way we've always done them. Oh, sorry, I need a drink. Um, So when it talks about when Jesus was on the earth, it talks about how he, when people heard him speak, they were astonished. They were astounded at his understanding and at his wisdom. And, you know, that hit me when I heard, you know, I remember when I was in my darkest times and you know what, we just move into different dark times, right? Whatever it is, my times are difficult now, but they're not dark anymore because I have the power of the Holy Spirit. And that makes it difficult, but not dark. So, but you know, the, the point is, I remember feeling like no one can understand. Oh, I think my earring is hitting the speaker. Sorry, guys. I just realized that it's banging. Um, I, I, I felt like no one could possibly understand the dynamics of my situation, the difficulty, the complexity. And it says here that people marveled at Jesus' understanding of them, you know? And, and I love the fact that it says that Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Sometimes we think that when, we really, when he really is looking at our situation, he's condemning us. Um, you know, we feel judged, but it says he, doesn't, he didn't come to condemn. He came to save. He came, he's, he, he's showing up with great understanding. But, you know, I, I counsel a lot of people, as you guys know, and I often feel like we don't marvel at his word. I often feel like we're looking for something more. You know, I, I feel like, you know, so often when I do do counseling, people feel like the therapist will save their child. We've got to get our kid into therapy because that will save them. Or the, and I'm like, it's the word of God. If we will be astounded at the power of the word, he will always give us the, 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 when we're stuck. So this past week, I got stuck. 
in this whole family drama thing that happened. And I got stuck, and I was um, heavy, and I was sad, and I couldn't get out from underneath it, and I was like that for two days. And I'm praying like crazy, and I, I can't figure out. And I know if I'm living in the power of the Spirit, I will not be heavy, no matter what has happened, because I've been through too much to know. I'm missing something somewhere. What am I missing? And I finally called my girlfriend. I only had like five minutes to talk to her. I called my girlfriend. I'm like, okay, this is the scenario. This is the duh. And, and I, you know, I called somebody who has known the ups and downs of these dynamics for decades, you know, because this is decades and decades. This is the deal. This is what happened. This is blah, 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 blah. And um, the, the relationship that I'm especially referring to, everyone in my life wants me to give up on this relationship, I'm telling you. I mean, there's not a family member. There's not a, everybody's like, give up, walk away. Yet the Holy Spirit has told me, don't give up. So even though every counsel, and, and so, you know, and I'm like, I think I'm finally going to give up. I feel like I get my get out of jail free card. I feel like, and my girlfriend had one, it, like I said, it took five minutes. It didn't take hours and hours and, and decades and decades. She said, oh, well, what does the scripture say? Because you always want to go to someone who's going to give you the scripture. The scripture will always have the answer. What does the scripture say? You know, and I'm thinking through it because when we're emotional, we can't get to that. We, you know what I mean? All we can do is feel. But the scripture says that even the wicked love the people who love them. But those who are of God love people who are unkind to them, who are cruel to them, who are not thoughtful, who are dysfunctional, who are, bubble, you know. And it was so easy. The answer was love more, love bigger. And I didn't want that to be the answer. That's the last thing I wanted. I wanted that to not be the answer, but that's what the word of God said. And the second she said it, I said, got it. I'm great. I hung up the phone. I said, I will not give up. I will try harder. I will love bigger. I will not let this be one more thing that, you know. Uh, and so in that very second, the second I submitted to what the word said, I was happy. I came down a totally different person. I was joyful. I was, you know, and my husband and my daughter, they're like, this is it. We're so, you know, we're so done. Da, da, da. I sat them down. I said, listen, this is what the word of God says. Even the wicked love those who don't love them. I mean, who love them. It is a righteous person who can love those who are unkind, who are not thoughtful, who only see it their way, who can't put themselves in somebody else's shoes, who, you know, whatever else. So I said, we will love better. And Regan looked at me and looked at Dave because she was like hoping Dave would back her up. He's like, no, nope, mama's right. And Regan's like, okay. I said, we're going to forgive everybody. We're going to, and you know, forgiveness is, and this is the hard part about forgiveness because first of all, listen, a lot of the people in our family, they're never going to ask for forgiveness because they're sure they don't even know the law, right? Or the situation. So, but forgiveness is giving them, setting them free from the emotional hurt that they've caused you. So when we forgive, we no, we no longer hold that emotion against them. And that's very hard to do. And that's what I, you know, I mean, even this morning as I was preparing for you guys, I was feeling the emotion of, because my whole family dynamic supports this thing, you know. So then there's more, there's, there's layers of hurt, right? And I was like, no, I'm not holding that emotion of hurt against any of them. I absolve them. They are washed clean. They are released from that hurt. There is no, and I release them completely, which means I can't hold that, I can't hold that against them. I can't feel that against them anymore. 
Um, and that takes the power of the Holy Spirit. That takes something supernatural to absolve, to say, I no longer hold that hurt that you've caused me against you anymore. Very, very difficult to do. Um, <clears throat> but through the power of the Holy Spirit, we do it. It's a supernatural act, right? <clears throat> now, that's, that's not something a therapist can do for us. It's often not even something a therapist will say to us. Because usually therapy is about you. You are the star in the sky. You are the world revolves around you, which is not a biblical principle. But anyway, I'll get to that. Okay, so um, when, it's, when they call the Messiah the wonderful counselor, the word wonderful, wonderful here literally means incomprehensible. He will, cause us, <clears throat> he will cause us to be full of wonder. We can't even comprehend his counseling, his therapy for us. We can't even comprehend how well it works, how powerful it is, how much it breaks the chains and does the impossible for us. It's incomprehensible, his counseling. Wonderful counselor, incomprehensible. Um, We say things are wonderful in our language. The word wonderful is not weighty enough. Um, But because we've used the word wonderful with things that are pleasant, lovely, or at least a little bit likable. Jesus is wonderful in the way he counsels us in a way that is boggling to the mind. This means we can trust Christ to listen to our problems and guide us in the right direction. And we all know probably Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which is a light verse for me and many people, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, because my own understanding can only feel my situation, and it'll lead me to react out of my feelings, which will blow things up even more, right? So don't lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways, I will acknowledge him. And it says, he will direct your path and make it straight. Whatever is crooked and broken, he will make it straight. He will direct our path. And, you know, so often these things are crooked and broken, and we can't straighten them out. It's impossible to straighten them out. But he says, if you will look to my word, I will, I will always, and, you know, a lot of times we do need somebody that we can call, like I did, to say, what, what does the word say in this moment? I can't, I can't, I can't think straight because I'm only feeling what I'm feeling. So what does the word say? And you will get a scripture, and then you say, okay, I'll do whatever the word says. Um, but, you know, we, Jesus, he's all wisdom. He's all teaching. He's all understanding of the situation. He made us. I mean, what therapist made you? He knows your parents. He knows the family dynamic. He knows the person that he made the person who's breaking your heart. He knows every detail about them. He knows the number of hairs on their head. Who can counsel you better than the Lord God Almighty? The person who knows you so fully and them so fully, he is our wonderful counselor. There's no, and and not only that, he knows our past. You know, so often in therapy, we go back into the past. We can't make it, we can't, listen, your therapist can probably not make sense out of their own hot mess past, let alone your own hot mess past. Like what, you know, we, he knows, he, he, he knows all that. And you know what the Bible says? It says, forgetting what lies behind. You know what God, the scripture says about the past? He says, forget about what lies behind. So he says, don't even dig into all that mess. Your answer isn't found back there. Your answer is found ahead. The Apostle Paul says, I forget what lies behind. I press towards the goal of what's ahead of me. Jesus says, live in the present and move forward. 
instead of digging around back there. So the scripture has information for every single thing we're dealing with. Um, and Jesus says, we all know Jeremiah 29:11. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Does your therapist have plans for your future? Because Jesus already knows what's ahead for the future. Jesus already has created the future. He is doing things to set up your future. And you can go to the very person who is setting up your future and ask for them for advice and counsel. And he is your wonderful counselor. Again, I'm not knocking therapy because we've all done it and we've all had benefit. But I'm trying to make it a point. I feel like we've made therapy our new religion. Our therapy is now our answer to everything. Therapy is a, is a, is a sweet little cherry on top. You know, it's not, it's not the cake. The cake is the word of God. The, the word of God has every answer. Therapy is just, you know, a little cherry on top. It, it, it could be helpful. It could be a tool. But this is, it's become our new religion. That's why they're overwhelmed. And they don't have answers for us. They do the best they can. They do not have the answers. They cannot solve the problems. But we can go to a wonderful counselor who can literally solve every single problem. We call on him in a second. We don't have to make an appointment. He's always available. We say, wonderful counselor, what do I do in this moment? Um, Romans 8, 28, and you guys know this one, but I love it. And this is in the Amplified Version, which I love. And it says, and we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for the good of us who love him, to those who call, are called according to his plan and his purpose. You know, it says that, that this is an interesting thing, but it says that God thinks about us so much that he has us tattooed on his hand. I don't understand how that, what that means. But he has us written on the palms of his hands. You know, I doubt that any of our therapists have a tattoo of us. You know, so they think about us all the time. He is, it says he is thinking about us day and night. We have him available. And, and I think the, the thing is, well, let me just, Matthew twenty eight twenty says, I am with you always, remaining with you permanently, regardless of circumstances, on, on, on every occasion, even to the end of the age. And you know what's also helpful is he's with them too, whoever them is, our child, our parent, our sibling, our, whatever the them is for this situation. He is with us. He is with them. He is working in them. He isn't working in us. He is finding a way to do the impossible in our situation. And we call on him, and he makes a way where there is no way in something that is so utterly broken. And what's amazing is when he restores it, he restores it so much better than it was before it was ever broken. So my, one of the, Kim, we were just talking about Kim before we started. She does all the technology in the ministry. So Kim came into the ministry six or six years ago or seven years ago, something like that. And the very first night I, I met her through, I did a women's conference and she was healed that night. I prayed over her. I put my hands on her and she was healed. She had been, she had not, she's a um, camera woman. Um, she does uh, she did. She worked for the news. She had huge, those huge cameras, and she one of those cameras had fallen on her and like broken her back, and she had not been able to work. She had not been able to pick up her child. She had not been able to do any of that for years, and she actually had you know those stem things that do electrical shock. She actually had one of those battery packs hooked to her back when she came to the conference. She didn't even go to the church where uh, that I was doing the conference through. Someone had invited her. On top of that, it was her husband's 50th birthday, 
And he said, go to this conference. I mean, it was just a God thing all the way through. So she, and that, that night I prayed over women until 6 a.m. in the morning. I started praying over women at 8 at night. I went to 6 in the morning. She was the last person I prayed for that night. She had stood in line for that long to be prayed for. And I laid my hands on her, and the Holy Spirit did an extraordinary work that only he could do. And, you know, it's a long story, but, and she was healed. And she went home. She picked up her daughter for the first time. It was amazing. Swung her daughter around, got a job, went back to work. And she now lives in Washington, D.C., has a, her dream job. It's, a, it's an extraordinary story. But that night when I met her, the thing after, aside from being healed, there were two things on her heart she came forward for prayer for. One was to be healed. The second was she, she has a twin brother, and he had been estranged, hadn't spoken to her or her mother. There was zero relationship, had cut them off, and it just it ate her alive. It broke her heart, and she sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. What's interesting is, I think a lot of times it's easier to heal a body than it is to heal a relationship because the healing of the body happened instantly. The healing of the relationship took five years. But this, in the five years, this Thanksgiving, her brother has not only come back to the family, has become her best friend again, has become a born-again Christian, has he hosted Thanksgiving this year. The whole family flew down. He, and then Jesus not only healed that relationship, but he was estranged from his son. His son was there. The Lord healed that relationship. God is a unifier. When we really live in the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing can resist the unity and the love. Satan is a divider. We know that Satan always brings divisions. He brings divisions between parent and child, brother and sister, uh, you know, husband and wife. It, when, when sin is present, there will be division. When the power of the Holy Spirit is present, there will be unity, and it will heal the most broken. She said, I, I should have thought ahead because <clears throat> I wish I would have sent the, showed you guys the pictures of this family. Everyone is beaming from ear to ear. They know they're living a miracle it's because they had been, they, it had been years and years and years they hadn't spoken, years that had been broken. It was impossible. But God completely and utterly healed what was impossible, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And it, had, it happened one little decision at a time. Can I tell you, over and over again, she'd call me up. She'd be like, okay, this is the scenario. What should I do? I need a therapy session. And every time I would say, what does the Scripture say? Let's go to the Scripture. Do whatever the Scripture says. And we would find a verse that would support that situation, and she would do it. And step by step by step, that relationship was completely healed it was impossible you know and and that's what the holy spirit does as we go to him as our wonderful counselor it's interesting because we have more knowledge than we've ever had before if knowledge could heal if knowing more if knowing more which is knowledge could make us better we would be the healthiest humans in the history of the world because the internet is at a click away we have more books than we've ever had. You know, people used to, you know what the printing presses used to be like. They didn't have books. They didn't have, my goodness, at one point they only had stone tablets. Why are we, why are we, why with all that knowledge are we more fearful, more depressed, more <clears throat> broken in relationships than ever before? Because knowledge is not power, as we say. It, 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 it helps to know something, but it is wisdom that shows us how to apply it to our specific situation, and it is the wisdom of God. The, the great counselor gives us the wisdom of God. 
It says here, 2 Timothy 3, 6, and 7. Okay, so the, it's talking about a type of evil. And I, I don't know why it, it – this has always kind of bothered me a little bit, truthfully, but it, it specifically calls out women in this particular verse. But maybe we're more susceptible to it. I mean, I don't know. I trust the Word of God. It says there's a type of evil that will worm its way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I feel like that describes what is happening in our world, always learning but never able to actually come to wisdom, never able to actually come to healing, never able actually to see something change. See, if God is our counselor, um, well, let me just read this next scripture, and then I'll jump into that. Colossians 2, 2 through 4, it says, My goal, this is God's goal, is that you may be encouraged in your heart. Is that not why we go to therapy, that we would be encouraged in our heart? Because he says, My goal is that you'll be encouraged in your heart, united in love. It, don't we mostly go to therapy because our relationship is broken? Love is broken somewhere? He's like, this is my goal, that your heart is encouraged and you're united in love. That's what the great counselor does for us. That's what the wonderful counselor does for us. So that you may have the full riches of complete understanding. Isn't that our situation so often? We're like, I just don't understand this. This just doesn't even make sense. I don't know what to do about this. It's not even within my control. This is somebody else's decisions that my child is suffering from or I'm suffering from or you know, so we, it's like we don't even understand. He's like, my goal is to give you the riches of complete understanding. And, and maybe, we can't, maybe we can't make sense of the situation, but he will give us understanding as to how to handle the situation. In order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And that is one thing that happens a lot. Um, you know, fine-sounding arguments are things that sounds good because it's what I want to hear, but it's actually deceptive. It says that you're not deceived by what sounds good, but it actually is contrary to what the Word of God says, and anything that's contrary to what the Word of God says will cause us to fall deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole we're already in. Um, so, you know, with Christ, we can be stable. The, the, the point over and over again, it talks about how the, what Jesus does is he makes us stable in an unstable world or an unstable situation. It says in Scripture that he makes us mighty oaks of righteousness, that our roots go down so deep that no matter how hard the wind blows, we are immovable. That's what, that's what the holy, that's what the truth of the word of God will do for us. Make us not be able to blow all over the place. It doesn't mean we don't feel it. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, unfortunately. What it does mean is that we are not, we are not an, a, a basket case. We can be even and steady through the whole situation. Um, Psalm 33:11 says, "The counsel of the Lord stands firm forever." Isn't that what we want? Stability. He makes us firm forever, and through the plans of His heart, through all generations. That's also what we want for our kids. He's like, if you will be firm, that will—that's the trickle-down effect for all generations. Um, and so the question is, I mean, obviously Jesus is still the wonderful counselor, but the question is, is he our counselor? I mean, is he really our counselor? Is he really your counselor? I mean, we have to examine ourselves. Is Jesus truly, when the situation happens, what's the first thing we do? Where do we go? If Jesus is our counselor, not that, it, not, not that, not that something won't knock us off our feet, 
because we're humans. But what will happen is that when we, God will raise us back up, like I just told you, that correction will happen. The scripture will be our guide through. We will say, what does the word of God tell us to do in this circumstance? What does he tell me to do about this wayward child? What does he, sometimes, listen, sometimes it's tough love. You know, sometimes it's boundaries. People like, to, people like to think that love means you don't have any boundaries and you don't ever make a hard stand. That's just not biblical. That's why we have to know the word. So, and, and actually, it's funny. I think um, next year in 2020, I'm going to do a series on boundaries. I feel like boundaries is a super important topic. So I'm going to do a series on boundaries because I feel like there's so much misconception. Um, but anyway, um, so, you know, who is our counselor? If the Holy Spirit is our counselor, we will know it because we will be coming increasingly more stable, increasingly more at peace, and God will be changing something. Maybe the something is us. So often, we're the first thing he changes. You know, and I refer to my marriage with Dave because it's such a miracle, but the first thing God changed was me for three years before he did any changing in Dave. Um, so first he dealt with me, and then he dealt with that. And, and, you know, I mean, I just I referenced my family dynamic. God keeps changing me. And I know he's going to change those situations. And it's been like that my whole life. So, you know, I, I'm almost 50. That's almost impossible, you know, for this thing to be changed. Yet it is possible because with God, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible, although it seems like it's completely impossible. Everybody in the family is like, just, you know, let it go. Who cares? What does it matter? I mean, you know, I hear that from everybody in my family. And I'm like, well, it matters to God. That's why it matters. I have to go back to his word. What does he say to do? Um, and, you know, what, what we have to look at when we take advice from somebody, are we taking advice from a spiritually dead person? What is their spiritual soul? Now, nobody's perfect. We can't get counsel from any human being who's perfect other than in prayer, but sometimes we need someone to talk to. But when you're, when you're choosing someone to counsel you, what is, are you choosing counsel from a dead soul? What is their spiritual life? You know, when, when, so, you know, I've referred to the fact that I do a lot of counseling, and when there is a suicide situation, I always say I want boots on the ground, meaning I want somebody who, I want them to choose a counselor that, somebody who's present. I don't feel like long distance is a good way to, I, I can do it in conjunction, but you want somebody present. And I'm like, and, and I've found Christian people will just go hire a therapist. They don't, they don't know the, the condition of that therapist. Well, they don't even know if they're believers. They don't know what they believe. They don't know. So I've had to train people. You first have to go in and interview the therapist because you don't know what, what's the condition of the soul. Who are you taking advice from? Who are you letting speak into your life? So if you're seeing a therapist, what is the soul of that? Is there death? Is there life? Because only it says the spirit and the counsel and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, the very words that it says in Scripture, is life. Any counsel of the Holy Spirit will be life-giving. So if you have a therapist speaking into you, make sure that that therapist is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to speak life, life into us. Because how many of us have known people who go to therapy forever and ever and get worse? You know why? Because that therapist doesn't, and I don't think the therapist is a bad person. I think they don't have the life to give. I don't think that they, you know, they, we have to have, you, you know, we, we, it's, it's life-giving if you get, receive it from the Word of God. But there's so much therapy that's contrary to the Word of God 
And so people sink deeper and they're so desperate for help. Um, you know, we have to be very careful too. There's a type of therapy that, that is very appealing to our intellect. And there's a type of therapy that is very appealing to our ego. There's a type of therapy that tells us constantly that it's all about us, what's best for you. It's all about, you know what, the, the Bible says everyone cares about their own self except for those of Jesus Christ. Those of Jesus Christ put others first. Again, not in an abusive way, right? There's, there's boundaries. And that's what we have to talk about. And that takes way more than what we can talk about today. So obviously not in an abusive way. But the point is, God teaches us to be selfless. How much therapy says you are, it's all about you. Well, we make ourselves our own idols then. You know, it's not all, it's, it's about what honors God. It's about what blesses other people. And it's about us. You know, I, I, the, other, the other ditch is you hear people say, well, I don't matter. It only matters about everybody else. They're the silent martyrs. And I'm always like, no, you matter. You absolutely matter. You matter just as much as they do. Everybody matters. The ditch is either, either it's all about you or it's all about them. Both are wrong. Everybody matters. And the Holy Spirit knows how to heal things in a way that is right for everybody. Um, but we just have to see what we're feeding. You know, it's interesting. Um, Reagan, uh, when she was little, she thought I was the strictest mom in the whole world because she was only allowed to have sugar on weekends. She wasn't allowed to have sugar during the week. And there was one little girl that she went to kindergarten and first grade about, and her mom was just as strict as I was, and they would commiserate all the time. And then on, they couldn't wait to get to Friday because, you know, we would go straight to the bakery and she'd pick what she wanted. And she'd be like, Mom, you will love this other mom because she's mean like you are. I won't let her daughter have sugar and blah, blah. I'm like, I will love that mean mom. Where, how do I meet her? But anyway, but – um. I said to her, listen, I'm teaching you about this right now so that when you're older, I don't need, you will know the difference, and I won't even have to think about it. Um, sorry, I'm getting – Dave is calling me from China. Hold on. Decline that. Um, so I'm like, I, I, I can't wait to meet this mom. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I got sidetracked. Where was I? Sorry. Oh, I miss my husband. I haven't talked to him in two days, so that just distract, distracted me. Um, okay, so – I said to her, I'm teaching you the difference. So here is the, here is the, the, I'm training you up now. So now, Regan is always like, there's too much sugar in that. I don't want that. I don't, you know, I let her have, you know, and it's funny because the first time during the week, which is a couple years ago, she wanted some, you know, chocolate covered pretzels. And I said, sure, you can buy them. She was like, but it's a week, it's a weekday. You're letting me buy chocolate. I said, oh yeah, that rule doesn't apply anymore. You've learned the lesson. You have the discernment now because you've done the healthy things for so long that you're now not hungry for the unhealthy things in an unhealthy way. You have a balance now. That is true with discerning counsel. When we feed our souls on the word of God and we really know the word, we will know if we're getting, we will be able to discern healthy counsel. We'll be able to discern whether it's junk food or whether it's healthy, sound counsel. We'll be able to discern, you know, we, we um, often are not really looking for a wonderful counselor. We're often looking for an agreeable counselor. It's like, oh, yeah, girl, that man, he's so bad, you should leave him. You know, like we're looking for somebody to, like, hate on whatever we're hating on, you know. And, um, you know, it, and it's, it's, I think it's important when somebody's hurting to be like, you know what, that sucks. I can't, that's, he treated you terribly. 
But that's not where it ends, right? Then the next step is, but what does the word say? Because that's what will set you free. That's what will set you free. There, and and, and uh, my, my marriage got worse and worse and worse until I finally said, okay, what does the word say? I will do whatever the word says. And can I tell you, as I started doing what the word says, I literally, I would do what I knew that the Bible told me to do, and I would literally go into my bathroom, close the door, cry so hard, I would dry heave into the toilet. It killed me to do what the word says. It was contrary to everything I wanted to do. It was contrary to every, and my friends and my family, nobody wanted me to do it because they loved me and they, 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 you know, it hurt them to see me put myself back into a situation that was so difficult, except for the fact I knew God had specifically asked me to do that. And I had to trust him. And of course now, as the man who I'm just talking about just called, I'm so thankful I did because look where it is, you know, all these years later. But the point is, God's word will so often go counter to what we feel like doing. And so we have to make sure we're really looking at the word and, and not just go into, um, you know, people who will feed what we want to hear. And that's really hard to do. And I have to tell you, I, I just, it's very hard to counsel that way. Um, because, you know, you love the people you're talking to. But one thing that I've, um, you know, Fanny and, and Sherry can tell you, because they've been... Uh, you know, around for quite a few of the things that have happened. And I speak the truth, and sometimes it crushes people, not in an unkind way, but the truth is hard to hear. And, I've, I've, and they're like, we can't really believe that you just say what you just said, like you're just straight. I said, yeah, because if you love somebody enough, you'll speak it straight. You'll tell the truth. That's what real love is. There, and sometimes it makes people mad, and sometimes it makes people upset. And every single one, I've ne- every single one has come back and said, I'm so glad you gave me the truth. It actually set me free. Because the word of God is hard to hear sometimes, but it is the thing that will save us because it is the wonderful counselor. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit has a way of dealing with the blemishes inside of us and inside of others so that we can eventually have an authentic relationship. Really, that's what we're all looking for, something authentic and real and deep and true and genuine where we're not hiding, we're not stuffing, we're not fleeing, we're not running, we're not isolating. I mean, if you have had a relationship that has been bad for a long time, you've tried every single one. You've tried the anger, you've tried to hide, you've tried to isolate, you've tried to flee, you've tried to freeze, you've tried, and nothing has worked, right? But it's the Holy Spirit, as we do what he says, it will change us and them. You know, God's word is different than the world's wisdom, and you're never going to know it more than James 3, 13 through 17. Um, and you guys are really familiar with James right now. But let me read this again. It says, who among you is wise and intelligent? Let him by his good conduct show his good deeds with gentleness and humility. You know, so often, so often when we are hurting, the last thing we are is gentle or humble. <sighs> Telling you, those words pierced me so much when I heard these. Gentle and humble when we're hurting. Um, but, but if you're really wise and you're really intelligent in the truth of the word, it says you're going to be gentle and humble. Um, and it says, let him show his good deeds with the gentleness and humility of true wisdom. And that's what the world is lacking. That's why, that's why it's getting, you know, what, what the world says is, love yourself. And I understand in that context of, you know, we care for ourselves and we're not, you know, I understand a context, but there's a line that's being crossed where it means worship yourself. You are all that matters. It's all about you. 
And that is not true wisdom. That is contrary. And so people are thinking because that's a miserable way to live. It really is. You know, it's interesting. Um, New York Times did an article, and I didn't have time to look it up. I've used it before. But New York Times did an article, and it said it linked depression to people who use the word my and I. And there was this direct correlation between people who say my and I, talk about themselves, think about themselves, look at themselves all the time, to depression and suicide. And the the statistic was mind-boggling. Because people who are self-focused are depressed, and that's what so much therapy is telling us, focus on you. And that is just a path to, to heartbreak and devastation. And by the way, it exhausts everybody around you, right? We've all been around those selfish, narcissistic people. It's exhausting to everybody, and they're lonely. This is not the truth. True wisdom is humble and gentle. Um, But if you are bitterly jealous, and the word bitter, like how many of us are bitter over some of these situations, right? So if you are bitter, if you are jealous, and if there is selfish ambition in your heart, me, my, I, it's all about me, I take care of me, it's a me, 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 this is mine, Um, a mine mentality. And it says, so if there is selfish ambition... Um, it, th- what's interesting is in the scripture it says in the end times people will be lovers. It, will, it says that ter- the end times will be terrible times. And the first thing it lists, it says people will be lovers of themselves. Totally focused on me. It is a trap to the pit of hell. So if you have bitterness, jealousy, or selfish ambition, don't cover up the truth with, with boasting and lying. What do most people like that do? Boast nonstop and lie. So how on target is this wisdom, you know, this wonderful counselor telling us about the character that that sin leads to? Four, jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Big old fat demon word. For wherever there is jealousy and selfishness, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. That's pretty strong. But wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It's also peace-loving. This is a hard one. Gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. Another hard one. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. So here we've got to show people mercy. We're going to have to be gentle. We're going to have to be gentle at all times, um, pure, peace-loving. You know, how do we make the peace? How do we bridge the gap? How do we bond what's broken? How do we be the glue to the family, you know? Um, And it says that peacemakers, in the scripture it says, peacemakers will inherit the earth. And again, peacemaker is not a conflict avoider, which is probably something I need to, I'll do that next year. Peacemaker does not, listen, conflict avoiders are cowards. A conflict avoider is someone who does not have the guts and the bravery to stand up and speak the truth and deal with the problem. So conflict avoider is not a peacemaker. A lot of times a peacemaker is somebody who will actually deal with the problem and say, this is an issue, we need to get it out on the table. But the whole point of it is not to unburden ourselves, but to unify. You know, so it, it's got different, different ways, but... Um, we see here that heavenly wisdom produces humility. Um, it produces uh, unity. It produces healing. And it's going to require us to die to our flesh. And it's going to require us to go through some things that aren't fair. 
and we trust that if we do what doesn't feel fair, that God will heal and restore and deal with that person and that relationship. And you guys know the story, but, you know, um, you know I've, I've had various unbelievable, I have a lot of supernatural stories of ways that God has done this for me and my relationships where I'm just like, okay, God, I can't say anything else. I've spoken the truth in love. I've, I've tried a couple times. It's been rejected repeatedly. I can't say it again. I have to put myself back in that situation because you're not releasing me from the relationship. So I have to go back in that, re- that situation. And you have to deal with that person. And you know uh, my story that God came to Dave in a dream in China. You know, I mean, it was unbelievable. He literally, you know, Dave is not like that. So it was so far out of the box, you know. But he, he had a, a visitation in his dream. God had a way of dealing with him. And it changed him like that. You know, but I've had other situations with friends and family members where I'm just like, okay, I'm going to have to just stay the course. I'm going to have to do the right thing. I'm going to have to trust you. And now, and I'm going to keep loving, even though I really want to shut down. And I'm going to, you know, and I'll tell you, I think we all get to a point where like, and it's not going to hurt me at all to walk away from this. I am so sick and tired of this. I am done. But then we have to ask permission. And so often from the Holy Spirit, so often he's like, no, stay and, and, and go through it. And go ahead and, and deal with, let, I'll deal with them. If you will do what I've asked you to do with my great counsel. You know, why are Christians always looking for a natural and obvious answer when God operates in the supernatural? We want a fleshly counsel and response, but these things are corrected and done in the spirit realm. And if we really understand that, 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 well, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, our deepest motives or the deepest motives of those who we're dealing with, or the deepest pathologies of ourself or them, the deepest everything. The word of God does that. So when we're dealing with the problem, shouldn't it be the word of God that is our foundation for every single choice we make about this, this, this situation because it is the word of God that will pierce to the deepest part of this issue. Um, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Don't you want that to be your counselor? We can't even know ourselves. Nothing is hidden from him. You know, so often I think I'm innocent, but I come to the Father, and he's like, yeah, but you didn't see this about yourself. And so often the person who I'm dealing with, they think they're innocent, and God will do the same with them. Yeah, but you didn't, you didn't, you're not seeing this about yourself. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. And here's the other thing. When you do what God has asked you to do, then you're clean. I was just talking to Fanny about this situation just last night, and <clears throat> She was saying very few people would put up with this. There's so much selfishness here. And she said, and, and the people around you know they can get away with it because you just keep loving. And you just keep, you keep, you know, there's no consequence to them, which isn't always the right path, just in this situation it is. So, you know, we're not eternal doormats. But in this situation is what God asked me to do. And I said, I know, but I'm so clean before God that I don't have to carry any of it. When I'm not clean before God, I carry the burden of it. I really do. I feel the weight. I feel what they've done to me, and I feel the injustice, and I feel the hurt, and I feel the, 
But when I'm clean, I'm like, yeah, I don't have to carry any of it. They do. They have to carry it. And they do. Let me tell you, they do. But I don't. And it's hard to do it, right? This is a hard road to do this, but you're clean. And that weight is no longer on your shoulders. So it's not my job to be the Holy Spirit in their life. You know, God is going to have to, God is going to have to counsel them. And at some point, maybe their conscience will become aware of their own selfishness and their own choices and their, or maybe they won't. But in the end, I stand before God, not for them, but me, and I am clean. And that's worth everything because then you don't carry the weight. We literally carry the weight of that hurt as long as we are in any way in our own flesh. The second, like I told you, that, that counseling call with my friend for five minutes, the second I knew I was walking in the Holy Spirit, I carried none of the weight of it. It was gone in a second. In a second. That would take me, you know, 30 years of counseling. Because let me tell you, this is a 50-year problem. This is not a, you know, but in a second, it's done. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says, the heart is deceitful above all things, which is, again, counter to a lot of what we're going to hear. Follow your heart. You know, Celine, Diaz, Celine Gomez, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. And we all saw how that worked out for her, right? That's her, you know, Justin Bieber ditches her and marries somebody else like a month later. The heart wanted what the heart wanted. And it, <clears throat> publicly, she was heartbroken, poor thing. I actually literally pray for that sweet girl. She's a sweet girl. I prayed for her many times. I was like, oh, that Justin Bieber. Anyway, poor girl. Uh, but um, anyway, but, you know, we here follow your heart. But is that what the Bible says? Because our wonderful counselor will tell us. And this says the heart is deceitful above all things, and it is extremely sick. Well, then that's what we're going to follow? Well, no wonder the therapy that I just read, the statistics are over the moon because everybody's telling us to follow our heart. And where is our heart leading us to more therapy? The, 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 we, they can't even ha- we don't even have enough beds in this country for, in, for, the, for, for those who have to be in facility. I mean, that's very difficult. How many heartbroken people are in there? And I'm telling you, it kills me. And I think a lot of people wouldn't receive this counsel. But I want to go in and be like, listen, the word of God has an answer for you. Don't follow your heart. Follow the word of God. Our hearts are sick. It says, who can understand your heart fully? and know its secret motives. We can't understand ourselves fully, so why would we follow that? The Lord, I, the Lord, search and examine the mind, and I test the heart. So maybe we don't really want to follow our own heart. Maybe we want to follow the word of God. Um, You can never fix yourself with more self. Never. We can never fix ourselves with more self. And that's what the world tells us to do. We fix ourselves with more of the word of God. We have to fill ourselves up with the word. We have to know the word. We have to go to the word and say, what do you say about this problem? And if we don't know how to find it, then you call somebody. You, know, you guys know you can always call me, but I'm sure you know other people too. Someone who knows the word. And say, what does the word of God say? Not even what do you say. You know, every time I do a counseling session, I pray and I say, Father, please do not let my own thoughts or my own ideas or my own emotion, because you get caught up in the hurt of somebody else. Don't let that be my guide. Please, Holy Spirit, bring to my mind your word, your scripture for this scenario. And he always does, by the way. And, and because that's the only way out. Otherwise, we go deeper into the hole. We have to search for godly counsel. Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? 
There's more hope for a fool than for him. If we think I've got this and I don't need any help and I know and I'm blah, 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 there, you got no hope, it says. Um, Proverbs 11:14 says, again, this is the amplified version, where there is no wise guidance, people fall and go off course. But in the abundance of wise and godly counselors, there is victory. That's how you find victory. Um, and we have to ask ourselves, can we hear wise counsel? Or will it make us mad because it's not what we want to hear? Will we receive godly counsel? Um, Joshua fifteen fourteen says, you are my friend if you do what I command. We have to surrender ourselves constantly and completely to Christ. Surrender is the word. And it's interesting because surrender is a very um, buzz, it's a big buzzword for therapy right now. And I absolutely agree. But make sure what we're surrendering to is not that we can't do anything about it, that we're stuck, that we're – because a lot of times surrender means you can't do anything about it, so just surrender yourself up, you know. That is hopeless. What a depressing thing to surrender to. We surrender ourselves to the word of God, which is the power to change the situation. I surrender myself to hope. I have, I have truly said I surrender my family's situation to the hope that this is not impossible, that God will change it, that no matter what, I don't know how he'll change it, but it will change, maybe even not the way I think it will. It might not look the way I think it will. It might not change the way I hope it will, but it will, I surrender myself that God will work this for good. How will he work this for good? How will he work this hurt in my child for good? How will he work this broken place in them for good? I don't know. I surrender it. He is my counselor, and he has promised me that with him all things are possible. So I surrender it constantly. Um, so I think I'm just going to conclude here, but we have to make a commitment, and especially going into the holiday season, for anybody who has less than perfect situation, maybe somebody here has a perfect situation, but most of us don't. Um, and I wrote here, Father, we are determined to be loyal to your counsel and your wisdom. No more instability. And we are confident that he is working it for good, that he is doing this for good. Um, it says in Psalm uh, 143.8, it says, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. He has promised to show us the way we should go. I have, this is the most beautiful scripture, and I printed it out because I didn't want to just read it to you. I wanted you guys to be able to have it for yourself and read it for yourself. Here, actually, how did I just pass it that way? Um, let me get a drink while you guys pass it around. Oh, I think I passed mine out too. Whenever you're done, just hand me one of those, please. Thank you. I, I gave mine away too. Oh, thanks, honey. Did everybody get one? Oh, okay. Well, you gave me yours. Oh, thank you, honey. Okay. We have it? You have enough? I do. Okay. It says, Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down and stand up. You know my thoughts even when I am far away. 
You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Whew, there's some things I've said where I'm like, whew, too bad he knew about that. I feel bad about that one. Whew. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand, hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. And aren't we complex? And they, he calls our complexity wonderful. So how many, how many times do people call our complexity, you know, drama or, you know, it's negative, right? It's complex. He says our complexity is wonderful. I love that. Your workmanship is marvelous. And, he's, and guess what he's talking about? His, himself. Isn't that beautiful? Instead of all the bad things, he says your workmanship, meaning himself, is wonderful, is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. That's what I was talking about, how he thinks about us constantly. How wonderful to have a counselor who thinks about us like this constantly. I love that. I'm just going to read that again. Your thoughts about me. That's about me. Can you believe that's how much he thinks about you? Your thoughts about me, oh God. They can't be numbered. That's who's counseling you. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. That's mind-boggling to me that he thinks about us that much. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That is a beautiful scripture. So with that, I'm going to end, and then I'm going to pray over everybody.